Thanks for checking out the Courtroom Chronicles podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to provide news and information on criminal cases and the criminal justice process, and all discussions on this podcast are for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. All cases and situations are different based on facts, evidence, and circumstances of the parties involved. Listeners to this podcast should not act on the information contained in any of the materials without first consulting legal counsel. Hey everyone, welcome to episode one of what we are calling Courtroom Chronicles with the County Attorney. As you can see right here on the sign, Crime Cases and Questions with Pinal County Attorney Kent Volkmer. That's him sitting right here. I'm Mike Pelton. I'm the Public Information Officer with the Pinal County Attorney's Office. We're really excited to get going on this project. And Kent, I know uh, you're very excited about this podcast as well. I am. It's just an opportunity to really educate the public. Um, that's really going to be our focus for 2024 is to be out in the public, uh, answering questions, and really trying to uncover uh, what's happening in the criminal justice system and really dispel some myths and untruths that are sort of believed. And a lot of what we're gonna be talking about we're asked in uh, by groups of people all around the county all the time. Anytime we touch on a lot of these topics is something we're inundated with questions on. Absolutely. It's, you know, I'm out usually a week uh, or once or twice a week, I'm actually talking with people in the public, but it's normally smaller groups. It's anywhere from 10 to 20, maybe 30, 40 people. Uh, this is hopefully an opportunity where we can reach large groups of people and they can listen to it you know, on their time when they're available, driving whenever they you know, have the desire to. And how this is going to work is we're going to kind of alternate episodes, two episodes a month. One episode will be featuring uh, maybe a higher profile case that is fully adjudicated. And then that second episode will be on a, you know, a popular, so to speak, criminal justice topic. So we'll alternate episodes. And of course, as we get going, we'll take uh, questions and certainly we'll solicit ideas from everyone who's listening or watching. And Kent, I know we're going to start with a case that we still get asked about today, even though it's been uh, over for several years now. And the reason we're starting with this is because there's a, a somewhat similar case, I think, out of Utah right now that involves uh, the concept of family vlogging, blogging on, essentially on the internet. You see, I know my kids watch a lot of these videos where you have uh, other kids acting and whatnot. And there's, uh, I think, a, a woman uh, who's, who's in trouble in, uh, I think it's Utah, over a situation that, that developed with that. But we have kind of our own, uh, our own version here. We certainly do. Uh, a lot of times when I talk with particularly kids, uh, young adults, or people that are just curious, they'll kind of say, you know, outside of a death, like what's the worst case that you've ever dealt with? Like what, what is the thing that horrified you? Uh, and that's an easy answer for me. That's certainly the Michelle Hobson case. And that became known in the media as the YouTube mom case, not something we came up with, but that's what the, the media dubbed her as. I forget the exact year, but it was, I think, 2019? few years ago, uh, but point being, it's been over for a few years now, but we, we even still get inquiries on this case. So kind of set the stage for us, how we even became alerted to this, and I'll let you take it from there. Certainly. So uh, what ends up happening is I actually get a call um, from the chief of police in the city of Maricopa saying, hey, we've got a case that's um, it's going to get a lot of publicity. It's pretty horrific. Uh, we need to come in and brief you. Uh, and, and essentially the, the bottom line is there was disclosure from a group of kids, um, all adopted children, not biologically related, but all adopted by the same woman who had been putting on uh, skits, uh, little episodes for a YouTube channel for the be better part of a year and uh, actually became very, very famous, uh, had a lot of people watching, uh, but it turns out that behind the scenes, um, Michelle Hobson was 
abusing and, and frankly torturing these children. And I think the name of the YouTube channel was like Fantastic Adventures and kind of describe what we were looking in these videos. And we're not talking about one or two videos. I mean, this was in the hundreds, I think. So it was uh, really wholesome when you watched it. I had the, the opportunity to watch some of them. It's very similar to things that my kids would have watched. It was young children, you know, typically between like maybe four or five to maybe 12. Uh, and they were just doing kind of fun, silly superhero stuff. So they would be, you know, shooting dart guns or pretending like they're flying. And there'd be really cheesy, think um, old school Batman graphics. But it was designed to be short little segments and it would be these adventures that these kids would go on. And the idea is, you know, your children watching it could relate and it looked like they were having this wonderful time. And it looked very similar to a lot of the other similar videos on, on, on YouTube, like the ones my kids watch. I mean, there's a, a lot of different types of this, but it, point being, it just kind of blended in with the other stuff you'd see on, on YouTube and whatnot. Certainly. Uh, if you were watching it, you would have no idea what was going on behind the scenes. You see these kids that are laughing, that are smiling. You know, these are the videos that your kids see and your kids are like, why can't I do these fun things? Like, it almost makes you question how good of a parent you are because you're like, man, these kids are living the life and, you know, I'm making my kids go to school and, you know, basketball practice and baseball practice and all these things. We don't have fun times and we don't have them going to the park and pretending like they're flying and doing all these really cool things turns out maybe fun on camera, but not so much fun when the camera turned off. I mean, how did law enforcement get involved? And I think it, there was a welfare check and that's when maybe we start peeling back the layers here. It was a house of horrors. There, there's no, no way that we can describe it otherwise. And actually the tip came from a Michelle Hobson's adult daughter who was providing some transportation to back and forth to doctors and those type of things. And one of the kids confided in her older adult adoptive sister, these things that were happening. Uh, and once she was explaining what happened, the adult sibling started thinking and said, oh my gosh, she's the one that actually reached out and she's the one that gave the hotline tip. And I think in the body cam video, there was actually, I think when officers first kind of go into the home, they note some of the kids are too old to be wearing pull-ups and, it just seemed odd from the start. Certainly, they were um, in very um, inappropriate clothes for their age. Um, nothing like sexual, but yet they would be like completely naked but for a diaper. They would be in these rooms where there was nothing in the rooms. There weren't mattresses, there weren't clothes, there weren't toys, there weren't artwork. It would just be this barren sort of room and, and things really um, didn't make sense to law enforcement when they came in. And I think Michelle Hobson was, was telling authorities that you know, she's a good mom and, and this is nothing to see here. Why are you here sort of thing? So Michelle Hobson is a particular type of evil in my opinion. Uh, if you watch the videos, she is sitting on the couch. She doesn't move from the couch. She doesn't look the least bit afraid, worried, nervous. Uh, in fact, she's saying how great she is, all the things that she does, how wonderful a life her kids have. Um, at one point, she actually talks about how all of these kids are special need needs and she adopted them uh, to make sure that she could provide a better life for them because she cares about these kids. Uh, and when you look at her, um, just physically the way that she sat there, the way that she answered the questions, the way that, that she was so comfortable in her own skin sitting there, uh, once we discovered what happened, we went back and watched that video. I mean, it just sends chills down your spine. Then law enforcement starts uncovering the, the videos. They start talking to the kids. And, and to be clear, she was making a lot of money off of her kids. Yes, she was. Uh, the way that the YouTube system works um, and these uh, videos is the more people that watch, the more money you make. And then you get into these tiers. And she was getting up into the upper tiers where some of these videos were getting hundreds of thousands of views. 
when you get hundreds of thousands of views, you have the ability to make hundreds of thousands of dollars. So yes, uh, it was significant sums of money. Uh, in fact, she had made so much money, she was looking at purchasing a very expensive, very large home in Southern California to get closer to Disneyland, to get a bigger home where they could spend more time outside. And she was using the profits from, or we believe the profits from uh, these videos to pay for that house. And so she needs actors and all, the, all these kids are actors, the sons are actors. And law enforcement, I, I believe, starts talking to some of these kids. And what are they confiding in during the forensic interviews? So what happens is law enforcement directly doesn't actually speak with the kids. They do a little bit. And then uh, once law enforcement says, hey, something's not right here, they refer them to our family advocacy centers. And our family advocacy centers have specially trained investigators who are not law enforcement personnel, but they are specially trained and they are um, taught how to speak with children. Children have a tendency to want to tell you what you want to hear. They're people pleasers. They want to make you happy. So we have to be very careful when we ask children questions that we don't ask leading questions or we don't ask questions that already suppose the answer because they're going to tell you what they think they want to hear. So law enforcement sends them to our family advocacy centers and once that rapport is built, once the kids realize they were safe, uh, they started talking about some of the just torture that they, they encountered. And obviously don't want to go into too graphic a detail here, but this was bad thing. Really bad things were happening to these kids. Look, I don't think we can talk about this story and really give you a feel unless I give you just a couple examples. Uh, and again, these are limited examples, but uh, you know, there was reports of her using pepper spray on the genitals of girls when they didn't properly perform, when they flubbed their lines, when they didn't look happy enough. Uh, there was a description of boys' genitals being pinched to the point where they actually drew blood. Um, we're talking about that type of, of level of, of violence on these children. Also starving them. If they didn't properly give their lines, they would be locked in a dark room with the lights off, these barren rooms I talked about earlier, where they would have absolutely nothing. That's why they were wearing pull-ups. They weren't even allowed to go out to go to the bathroom. They were just trapped in this house. One of the heartbreaking things to me was in the body cam, the officers are initially in there, the, the kids, I think, in the pantry, and they're trying to sort out what's going on in the house. And the, the, the responding officer is like, hey, do you want some of this food? And the kid's like, no, 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 we, we can't have that. Like, she's going to get mad. She's going to get mad. You could really tell the terror that these kids were, were under. You could certainly hear it. One of the children even said something to the effect of she'll be able to smell it on her breath. We can't. We can't eat this stuff. When this case first comes to your desk, because she, she's eventually... Uh, arrested. When this case first comes to your desk and you're kind of looking over the, the details of what's alleged, kind of what's going through your mind? So once she is placed into custody and the kids are removed and we know the kids are safe, uh, the next real priority at that time was actually to try to freeze all of the money she was making. Uh, and the idea behind that is we wanted to be able to give that money to the kids, not allow her to spend or waste that money to continue spending it. So once we knew that the kids were safe, we didn't have a, an opportunity to really process it. It was more about how do we get access to these accounts? How do we confiscate the money? How do we hold it so we can make sure that we can give it back to these victims? And that was really the, the initial focus of our office's uh, role in this case. What was the charging review like and, and how did the charges kind of roll out against her? So the charging review was interesting. Um, on almost all high profile cases and cases that are difficult or people would have interest in, uh, we do a charging review where all of my bureau chiefs are present, I'm pure present, my chief deputy's present, the law enforcement team that investigated is present. They present the evidence and then we discuss what we think under these circumstances the appropriate charges are. And it happens, you know, maybe a couple hundred cases a year. So it's certainly not infrequent. 
Uh, but this one was memorable because there was almost an air of disbelief. Uh, you know, these are seasoned prosecutors who had spent their lives, their professional lives as prosecutors, and nobody had heard of anything quite like this. She ultimately faced, it was, a, I think, a long list of charges. I forget the number, but a lot of them. I, I believe it was in the 20s. Um, what we did is every individual criminal offense that she committed, every, every time that she abused someone, every time she hurt somebody, if we could, within a reasonable period of time, specify it, we charged that, and then we charged big kind of overarching child abuse claims saying from this period of time. So there were a litany of very serious charges brought against her. Before we go on to the next step in the criminal justice process, just to hammer home, I mean, this was not some stupid mom who had superficial understanding of YouTube. I mean, she knew what she was doing. She abused the system. She, she got specific kids into her care. I mean, it was, for lack of a better way to put it, not to give her compliments, certainly, but I mean, it was, a, it, it was an above average, very sophisticated type of scheme she was she was doing here. It certainly was. Um, and I guess we kind of have to talk about how she adopted these kids in the first place. She specifically targeted children that had behavioral issues, children that came from very troubled backgrounds. And she would open her arms um, to the Department of Child Safety and say, hey, you know, I can take care of these kids. I have these kids here. I have a system in place. Um, we can provide. I have all of my adult children who come in. There's an entire team here that can care for these kids. Um, and I can't help but believe that she did that intentionally because there were, prior to us discovering this, there were times where these kids came forward. They came forward to teachers and said, hey, this stuff is happening. Not to the degree that they disclosed to law enforcement this time, but there were other indicia. And every time Michelle was able to, to essentially talk her way out of it, saying, yeah, look at this kid's diagnosis. Look at the history that this, when, when this kid is being disciplined, they lie. I mean, this is their history of what they're doing. I've just been disciplining this child. They've been stealing. Yeah, I'd, I limit their food intake because, you know, they have no ability to self-control. So I won't let them just eat because they'll eat until they throw up because they've never experienced it. And I, yeah, I, I'll punish them and I'll take their stuff away because I don't believe in physically assaulting them. So every time law enforcement, every time the school, every time DCS was involved, she was able to go back and say, but what you don't know about this kid is here and look what I'm doing. And I've already been investigated. DCS keeps putting more kids in my home. Clearly I'm not a bad parent and they're making this stuff up. And up until this point, she had deceived everybody. Everybody was okay. This whole scheme she was running, how do you, like, just how do you personally feel about it, having lived this case for several years? She's a monster. Uh, I mean, just the, the ability to put these kids through what she put them through, just to make the almighty buck, it, it makes me sick. Um, you know, the way that she was able to pull the wool over the eyes of all of the professionals. I mean, again, this wasn't somebody that they thought was marginal. This was somebody that they kind of thought was almost this angel, you know, this person that, that was willing to, to give up their life to, you know, raise these really sometimes difficult children. Um, they thought, wow, th this is a, a, you know, this is the woman that we dream of. Uh, yet behind the scenes, she again was running this house of horror. She was torturing these children. She was using them essentially as slave labor. And you go back to watching the videos and you never know. I mean, the kids are laughing, having a great time. And I'm guessing maybe that was going to be her defense at trial. And she was facing a law, potentially a very long prison sentence. But she came, I think it was in, in she, was, she was being housed at the jail, I believe. And uh, kind of what happened going through the process? Because as people know, I mean, the process is not the quickest. So she, so she wasn't going to trial yet. But what, what kind of happened once she got into the system? Relatively short into her stay at our jail, she had a medical emergency. Um, our jail can provide basic medical services, but there is a certain level that our jail is not 
uh, capable of providing. Uh, if a person being detained, if an inmate exceeds what we can provide, uh, we then will work with our local hospitals and transport them. So in this case, Michelle Hobson was actually transported to the local hospital uh, where she remained for quite some time. And then what? Uh, ultimately, she succumbed to her injuries uh, or, or to her medical emergency. Uh, she was never actually held to account. Um, she, I believe, was in court one, perhaps two times. Um, but in relative short order from the time that, that she was arrested and put in our jail to the time that she was no longer on the face of this earth was, was but a couple months. Does that frustrate you? You know, I've had a lot of people ask that question. Um, it, it doesn't. I mean, part of me certainly wanted her to get her comeuppance. I wanted the opportunity for all of her um, dastardly deeds to be out there so people could see it. But in order to do that, we're going to have to call these kids to the stand. These kids were going to have to testify. And if you look at it from a child's perspective, I mean, th this woman's a monster who starved them, who beat them, who assaulted them, who you know, did these terrible things all because they, they couldn't remember their lines or because they weren't smiling or they didn't look happy enough. Uh, and they were going to be forced to, to testify in a courtroom of complete strangers who they don't know. Look at this monster in the eye who some of them still loved her. I mean, it was still their mom. I mean, they, they were told that this is the person that's going to raise you and care for you forever. And making those children take the stand and go through that is a whole nother trauma. So I think in that respect, not having to put those kids through that, I, I think was a blessing. You're now in your eighth year in office. We've had a lot of other high-profile cases, but where would you rank this case in terms of sh the media attention and the high-profile nature of it? As far as actual media attention, this was by far uh, the largest. I mean, I, I remember distinctly uh, holding a press conference, not because I wanted to, but because there were so many people asking questions. And it was the most awkward thing because I actually had a lady crawl on her hands and knees and actually put a microphone between my legs underneath of me so they could get the direct audio. And I just remember looking down saying, this is not what I thought I signed up for. And I'm guessing a lot of the attention around this case is because it is so relatable. I mean, my kids watch these shows. Again, we're talking about a, a somewhat similar case that's going on in Utah now. With the proliferation of the internet and with all the devices and apps, there's this desperate need for content. And I think a lot of times you fill the void with these shows involving kids. My kids watch them and you just never really know what's going on behind the camera. Right. I think we all want to believe uh, that these people are doing the right thing, that they are the happy family that you see. But I think just within the last month, there was another family vlogging unit that I just saw filed divorce paperwork. I uh, just came across and said, you know, that, that they're splitting up. Um, it's interesting. You know, I, I had somebody tell me one time, stop looking at Facebook, stop looking at these social media sites, because what you're seeing is somebody's highlight reel of their life and you're comparing yourself to that person's highlight reel. I think these YouTube videos are the highlight reel. I, I think they are manufactured even more so than vacation pictures. I think these are manufactured lives that they want to portray that things are going wonderful. Uh, and the concern is when, when you peel, peel back the film and you look behind the scenes what's going on, you realize it's not paradise. What you realize is, is that these kids in certain circumstances are, are victims. I mean, they're being abused. Uh, they are being treated terribly. Also, their parents can either feel self-important or make a couple dollars. I'll end on this and maybe a, a kind of a tough question to answer, but what's your advice to maybe one, people who are producing these videos, but then on the other side of that, you consume this and you just don't really know what's going on behind the camera. So what, what tips or advice would you, would you give to everyone listening to this? So I, I want to make it clear. There's nothing inherently wrong or evil 
about those that, that videotape their experiences. You know, I can remember when I was a kid, my dad had the old cheesy Magnavox on his shoulder walking around video camera. Uh, you know, when we were at Disney World and all those things, we have VHS tapes that are still there. So kind of recording life experiences. And even if you're manufacturing them a little bit, it's not inherently evil. Uh, but the one thing I would warn those people that are engaged in those activities is, is not to be in an echo chamber. Make sure that there's somebody there that you trust that, that has the ability to call you out. Because I think what happens is it's really easy to just take an extra step. Now, Michelle Hobson obviously is the extreme. But I think what can happen is you can get so consumed and so excited and it's so enjoyable that if you were to take an objective look at it, I think you would realize that maybe you're going too far. So my recommendation is to have that person that can trust that, that you can trust and can call you out, whether it's you know a best friend, a counselor, a religious, I don't care, but have somebody who can call you on your baloney. And those that watch, um, there's nothing wrong with watching. There, there's nothing we can do. My kids watch it, your kids watch it, everybody watches these type of things. Um, there's nothing we can really do, and, and you shouldn't have any guilt. You shouldn't feel bad about it. I just know that, that law enforcement is out there, and when we get these reports, we do take them seriously. Obviously not the uh, happiest of cases, but a very important uh, message, I think, to, to deliver to everybody. And that will uh, bring us to the end of episode one. How do you feel? I feel great. I mean, my guess is that, that there are people that um, have questions about these cases and other cases. Um, my hope is that kind of moving forward, we're gonna talk about individual cases, we're gonna talk about circumstances. Sometimes that's, that's uncomfortable, but I think it's relevant to our society, it's relevant to our community, and my hope is that we get some educational benefit out of this. Yeah, we really wanna be uh, the source of truthful and accurate information, so if you have questions or uh, comments or ideas for us, to, uh, you know, a topic you want us to talk about, let us know because this is only, um, this is only successful if we're uh, being educational to the general public. So with that, uh, Kent, appreciate your time and I want to thank everyone who listened or watched this and we'll see you uh, next time here on Courtroom Chronicles with the County Attorney. Thank you everybody.